If you enjoy listening to podcasts, it's a good bet you probably enjoy listening to audiobooks as well. Have you tried Audible? There are literally thousands of audiobooks and podcasts on Audible with new titles being added every week. So here's the good news. You can try out Audible Premium or Audible Plus free for 30 days. You can listen anywhere, anytime, when commuting, exercising, running errands, or while doing housework. Check out the links in the show notes to access your free trial today. Welcome to the Communication 24-7 podcast, where we communicate about how we communicate. I'm your host, Jennifer Furlong. And I have a very special guest today, Kim Hamer. I'm especially excited to talk with you, Kim, today because um, I actually am just getting back from a mammogram appointment. So (laughs) how appropriate that we are going to be talking about uh, cancer, when cancer strikes and how to, you know, best support employees and their families when they're going through this. Um, I, I put the word out that, you know, I wanted everybody watching this because this is something, unfortunately, that can impact anyone. I mean, there's really no rhyme or reason to a lot of times when, when you're yeah. diagnosed with, with cancer. So do you mind um, just telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to creating 100 Acts of Love, achieving the goal that you're trying to achieve? Sure. So back in 2006, my six foot tall, my six foot six tall, athletic, organic eating husband was diagnosed with large B cell lymphoma, super aggressive. Um, if we had been waited a couple more weeks, it would have, it was already in his lungs. It already metastasized all over his body or, or a large part of his body. And it was in his lungs. And if we had waited another couple of weeks, it, it would have been too late. Um, and so we had sort of an unset agreement between the two of us that, you know, he would battle this cancer or, you know, he would try to get himself unentangled, I often say, and I would manage everything else. And we quickly learned that um, there's a phrase that everyone says, if you need anything, let me know. Um, We quickly learned that first it felt really good. And then we learned how useful, useless that sentence Mm -hmm. really is. Um, But we also learned Um, how these small little things that people did were so incredibly helpful. And I started calling them acts of love because that's what they Mm -hmm. felt like. Like, here's a lasagna. We love you. Let me take, let me give Art a ride to the treatment center because we love him. Let me take the Mm -hmm. kids, you know, we're going to pick the kids up after school and not drop them back to you until 9 p.m. on a Friday night because we love them and we love you. So um, he got himself untangled in little, little more than, a little less than eight months. And then And two years later, the cancer came back, returned Mm -hmm. with a vengeance. And then four months after that, my husband died at the age of 44. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time, obviously, that the things that people did were really, really, really helpful. And um, a couple of years later, I went back into the HR field. And when I noticed this, I noticed like in, in the 
regular world, people didn't know what to do or what to say. They didn't know how to help. And that's the same thing that happens in, in a corporate environment or in a business environment. People, organizations don't know what to do or, or how to help an employee dealing with cancer or employee affected by cancer. And that's those, I kind of bought those two things together. And that's how I launched my business, which is supporting managers and HR teams in helping them support team members who have, who are being affected by cancer or really any type of health crisis. Because unfortunately, we see it all the time. Organizations just don't do anything and they leave it to managers to try to figure out. And a manager, this is not part of management 101. Um, And so they, they're left kind of scrambling and trying to figure out. And unfortunately, they make a lot of mistakes that cost them employee engagement, cost them productivity, and ultimately can cost them team members down the line. Yeah. Uh, That's why I think it's so wonderful that you have created something out of that tragic experience, you know, that had such a a profound impact on your family. And I know, you know, we're not alone. I, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in October of 2017 and a similar experience. People mean well when they say, just let me know. Or they'll say other things like, oh, you'll be fine. Yes. Yes. That brush off. You'll be fine. It's no big deal. Yeah. And, And I don't think people realize how much that the minimizing of what you're experiencing and what your family is experiencing, how harmful that can be. And, but the main reason I love what you're doing is that you're right. Not many people think about what is happening in the workplace, you know, as a manager or as a leader. We do oftentimes think about the family. We think about friends, you know, we we even think about acquaintances, people we know in the neighborhood, you know, they might die with a casserole, you know, once they hear about what's happening. But I don't think I've ever heard of anyone talk about the workplace and help that you can receive being a manager or maybe even just a, a coworker. That's why I wanted to remind everybody, anybody who's going to be watching this, whether you're on Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube, please feel free to say something in the comments, ask a question, share your story. I have found, and I know Kim is going to talk about this as well, we have just found that there is so much comfort in being able to share your experiences and and understand that you're not alone in this, especially if you're an employee and you're having to deal with issues at work. Yes. Um, So Kim, why is it that you think we struggle so hard to know what to say? Because Cancer, I know so many people that have been either they have been diagnosed with cancer or they have a loved one who's been diagnosed with cancer, but they just, even I sometimes find myself, (laughs) even though I've been through it, when I hear someone else has been diagnosed, I have to take a moment. Yeah. And gather my thoughts and, and think about, well, okay, what did I not appreciate people <laughs> saying? <to me? laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, so I think the one thing I want to point out is that 46% of cancer diagnoses happen in between, uh, happen with people between the ages of 25 and 64. So those are prime working years. So almost half of the yeah. diagnoses occur in that those ages. And I think that we forget, like we think, oh, we're at, it's almost like sometimes we, we, 
we are always shocked when something bad happens at work because right. we sometimes treat it like it's a cocoon. Like somehow work is work and drama is drama in work, but it doesn't affect my outside life or, you know, and, and as we've all learned and seen, especially in 2020, that that's just simply not the case. Um, why do people say not nice things? I think they say them because of two reasons. One, we're not taught. This is not a topic, we, right? We've, we've gone from, if you want to go way back, you know, we used to live in these small communities. So we would automatically know how to help and someone support someone because we knew them. Now right. we're in these big giant communities where there's, there's a lot of different ways I could support someone, but I don't know what to do. And there's no basis. There's no skeletal framework for people mm. to work from. And so, so that's the first thing we've not been taught. We don't know what to do. I mean, 50 years ago, you didn't even say the word cancer. You whispered it. You were like, she has cancer, right? So, so we've <laughs> yeah, come yeah. far from then. The second reason is it's emotional. It's mm. really hard to tap into the fact that someone we care about, mm-hmm. whether we work with them, whether they're our partner, a neighbor, a friend, you know, the, 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 the post person, someone we care about is being affected by something that we cannot mm-hmm. control. And that if it's left alone, we'll kill them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause that's what cancer is, right? We don't, we don't think about that, but that's what we're really all afraid of that the cancer is going to kill somebody, the person we care right. about. Yeah. And that's really hard. It's hard to let that into your heart. We often mm-hmm. feel weird when we're crying about, you know, when we cry about someone who's dealing with this difficult time, um, we feel like, why are we crying? Like, it's not, it's not me. It's because you care about that person and you are sad that they are going through this experience. Mm. Even if you don't fully understand what that experience is, you know that it's scary. Yeah. And so our reaction sometimes, instead of tapping into that place, is to distance ourselves. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you what, nobody wanted to know that my 40-year-old husband had cancer. Nobody wanted to hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's too young, you know, and, and in our 40s, we're like, get, we're going, we feel really good. We're like life, you know, we feel like we've got life, like we under, we understand it to some level. Yeah. And so, and so nobody wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that some kids may be left, you know, fatherless because of this right. condition. So we take a step back. And in that taking a step back, we distance ourselves. And that's where we get into trouble. That's where mm-hmm. we say things like, you'll be okay. Because we need the, when you say it, you need them to be okay because their stuff that they're going through is too scary for you to deal with in your own mortality. And the Mm -hmm. fact that you might have cancer right now and you just don't know, right? All that, that like makes people really, really nervous. And so stepping back and closing down is an easier way to manage someone's pain than it is to actually step in and to engage. Yeah, it is such an uncomfortable thing. What you just said a moment ago about being in our 40s, because I was 44 Mm. when I was diagnosed. And you're right. I mean, 2017 was like a banner year for me and my family. You know, I had I had just published a book. I did a TEDx talk that year. My uh, daughter was going away to school in Atlanta. You know, my son was preparing to go into the Marine Corps. My husband and I were celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. So many great things. And then all of a sudden, poof. Yeah. Just out of left field. Yeah. You know, the one thing you're just not expecting 
And it is uncomfortable thinking about your own mortality. And um, I think you're right. Anyone else who is in that, I guess, same age group, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around that. It makes it very difficult, very uncomfortable, especially in the workplace. I mean, think yes. about it, you know, in your 40s, right? We're still in our yep. prime. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, we still yeah. have a a lot that we can give, yep, right? Yep. You know, in the workplace. So it can be um, an incredibly challenging thing to to try to come to terms with that. So yes. what kind of advice when you talk because you know you're also an HR leader. So in addition to having this very personal experience, so you know what this feels like and you've witnessed it firsthand, but also now you're an HR leader. What do you say to managers and and the leadership, you know, when you go to talk to these companies and talk to departments, what are some of the things that you tell them that, you know, is, I guess, is okay to say, or, you know, how do you start the conversation (laughs) with them? So I often start with, because that's the panic. That's usually when people Mm -hmm. reach out to me, like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Did I say the right thing? Did I do, did I say the wrong thing? Um, So the first thing I always say is I let them know, don't say, if you need anything, let me know. And I talk about, Mm -hmm. I will tell people why why it's the worst thing you can say. There's three Mm -hmm. specific reasons. One, what is anything? Like really, what is anything? Anything it is, is, it is big. It's isn't big. It? <laughs> it's big. It's a range. <laughs> I had a toddler the first time my my husband was diagnosed with cancer. Did that mean that you were gonna go pick up like my coughing, green snot, nose stuff? You know, coming pick up him up from preschool to help me out, or did you mean that you'd run to the store and get a gallon of milk? Right? Like, right. what is anything? It's too. Yeah. The second reason it's not helpful is you are asking the person who's in crisis, who is not, you know, is does not have all their marbles in a basket right mm-hmm. now to break apart their day and to find the one thing that you might be willing to do. Mm-hmm. And so when my husband was diagnosed, I knew we needed meals and I was excited about this because I hate cooking. So I was <laughs> super excited to be getting all these meals. But beyond that, I couldn't think of what else we needed. And it wasn't until people started saying, hey, maybe we should make the kids lunches. Why don't we make an arrangement so the kids can get rides to school? Why don't you, you know, it was until people started doing that, I had, I just couldn't think of those things because I was asking, people were asking me to take apart my day. The third reason it's not helpful, because let's just say I do find that one thing. I can think of that one thing. Now I have to have the courage when I am in an extremely vulnerable state. I now have to have the courage to ask you to do something that you may not want to do. And the idea that I might get back the, oh, okay, that wasn't really what I had in mind, but sure. Like even that hesitancy, it's like, no, right? We are all claiming- Now I'm being a burden. Exactly. Nobody wants to be a burden. Mm-hmm. And so if if I have to put myself in a situation where I might be a burden to you, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. So those are the three th- those are the three reasons it's not helpful. So that's the first thing. We go through a series of of kind of common there's there there's a lot I'm going to at the end of this I'll tell people where they can download five mm-hmm. phrases never to say and what to say instead. 
So those, that's the first part. The second part is we sit down and we just talk about personal experiences because if you can kind of talk about personal experiences, I've met with managers who have had cancer in their, you know, their parents had cancer, a parent, their parent died of cancer. So it brings up a whole host of emotions that, that mm-hmm. they didn't, that they're sort of like surprised by. Um, and so whether they've had the cancer in the background or not, whether they've known someone or not, it's just kind of getting their ideas out because we also all have stereotypes of what it means to have cancer. If you have not had the experience of having cancer or someone around you having cancer, there's a lot of stereotypes and those stereotypes get smack in the way of you managing the employee with cancer as well as helping the team. Um, And then we start to talk about, you know, what information has the employee dealing with cancer? Because also remember, sometimes it's, it's a spouse, it's a partner. It's, you know, it's, it's a parent who has a child who's dealing with cancer. Um, So we talk about what the person has revealed so far. And then I ask very specific questions about, you know, how much do they want to be revealed? So depending Mm -hmm. on how that pans out, then we start to talk about what does the team know? How are you going to help the team? How often is this person going to be at work? Are they going to be able to work? Because that's another kind of stereotype. People think, oh, you have cancer, you're going to take off of work. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily. And, And sometimes they can't right? They need the income. They cannot go without the income. They don't have enough vacation time or PTO saved up. So, um, so there's a lot of things that go into play, um, in this, Mm -hmm. how, what are you going to message to the team? That depends a lot on what the person who's dealing with cancer wants message to the team. Right. And so even if you're not going to message the specific thing, you have to message something if they're going to be out of the office. How do you message that? How do you handle workload changes? How do you handle the chaos that's going to happen on the team? How long is this going to go on? Thinking about that process, thinking about integration, how you can integrate the person back into the team, whether they need to be integrated back in full time or whether they need to be integrated back into to working from their minimum from the minimum hours to their full time hours. Right. What is that look like? And even we have discussions around death, what, you know, so it's really beginning. And then we talk about how can the team help if the team wants to help? And if the employee is open to the accepting the help, how can the team help without it feeling like a burden? Because some people on the team are not going to want to help. Some people are going to feel like, Hey, you know what? Head in the sand. I'm good. Like, and, and you have to, you know, how do you let them be without feeling like, oh my God, I got to give five bucks to this freaking gift card. I don't really want to give five dollars. You know, like (laughs) how do you manage all that? Because the bottom line is what managers often forget is the team is watching them and is watching them very carefully. And whether the team knows that there's a cancer diagnosis or not, the team knows something is wrong. Something's happening. And how you manage that affects your productivity. I mean, let's, let's just get real business basics. It affects your productivity and affects your engagement and it will definitely affect your turnover, whether it's three months from the, the diagnosis or a year from the diagnosis, your team is yeah. watching you. And if you're not, if you've got, you know, if you've got team mottos and if you've got sort of a team mission statement and you're not living by that mission statement, or you've got team values and you're not living by those team values, then you're going to find that your employees are going to depart or they're not going to trust you. They're not going to think that you're worth listening to. You know, there's a bunch of, there's a whole host of ramifications of how you manage an employee dealing with a crisis. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
there is so much that you have to consider. And, you know, I, I heard you say even on the HR, especially on the HR side, considering how much does the person want anybody to know about it. Yes. And that in itself is a challenge. Yes. Do you find that, um, is there, do you have managers come to you because of the fatigue over time? Because, you know, like you mentioned down the road, I know for me, you know, it was 2017 when I was diagnosed and it was a whole host of things that you have to do, right? As a cancer patient and your, mm-hmm. your family goes through so much. I was one of the ones who did not take any time off, but right. I was a professor teaching in the classroom. Yep. So I was I, I was fortunate in that I had the type of job that there was some flexibility if I had just that one particular day that I absolutely could not make it in that wouldn't necessarily have been that big of a deal or right. you know if I could teach hybrid you know like right. maybe log in and we right. just use Zoom or whatever. But even after treatments are, quote, over, um, you know that the journey is not over just Correct. because you, you're you suddenly, quote, in the clear and treatments are done. You're not really in the clear. So right. have you had managers come back to you or come to you, you know, af- after that and, and say, wow, I mean, things are still, this is still difficult. I mean, they're they're better now. Right. Know, and right. They're supposed to. Right. Things, right. Well, that, that goes, I mean, it's so true. That goes with the stereotype, right? The stereotype mm-hmm. of being cured from cancer is you bounce back immediately and that you have this new view on life. And so mm-hmm. all those things that used to piss you off before don't piss you off anymore. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes so, it's worse. Exactly. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. They're like, they're pissed at everything. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So there are a couple of things. I did want to touch on the HR piece. It's really important if you're a manager and you have an HR team, or even, even if you can get a membership to like SHRM, it's really important you have conversations with professionals because there are a lot of laws in place, HIPAA and ADA particularly, which you cannot mention that your employee has cancer if they have not given you permission to do so. And I always tell everyone, make sure you get it in writing, right? Mm-hmm. So so just if, if you're a manager, please just remember you can't go around talking about this to other people because there are laws in place that are protecting your employees' privacy. Okay. So I just wanted to say that from my, my HR brain was just my alarms are going off. Oh, no, no, no. That's important. Um, yes. That's important. <laughs> yes. So one of the things I talk to managers about is making sure that they have a work plan, that they sit down with the employee and they have a work plan. And this is not a one and done deal because treatments change. Treatment, cancer treatment is not always involving chemo. Sometimes it involves immunotherapy. Sometimes it involves surgery. Sometimes it involves radiation. Sometimes it involves all of that. Sometimes it's a combination of those. So really understanding if your employee is willing to share that with you, what the ramifications of their treatment will be on their work is really important. And and then revisiting, because I know my husband's first two rounds of chemo, he's like, yeah, not too bad. Third one, took him out took Mm -hmm. him out and, and it just got worse from there. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, at first he was engaging a little bit with people at work. And by the third one around, he was not engaging at all because he couldn't, he couldn't engage barely in life, let alone, you know, work. So really making sure that you're revisiting those work plans again and again and again, Mm -hmm. because the, the effects of treatment change. Um, 
And that also goes for when people come back to work, put together a work plan, talk to them about, okay, you want to come back, you know, full time. Chemo brain scientifically has been proven. And so you might have, you might find that your employee is wicked spacey that before the before the chemo before the cancer they could come into your office you would tell them what to do or have a suggestion and they would run with it now you you tell they do the same thing and they walk out the door and you're waiting a week and you haven't seen anything and they've forgotten right yeah. so so understanding that just because just because treatment is over doesn't mean it's over you have to give yourself the team and the employee who's dealing with cancer and this this also goes for partners because if you're and it's even harder sometimes if you have an employee who has a partner who has cancer who has someone else they look and act normal yeah. but the amount of stress on their brain is mag is you know is huge. And so what we do know from many, many, many studies, stress affects our ability to concentrate, our ability to focus, our ability to get things done, our ability to remember. So even though they may seem like they're okay, they're going to be forgetful. They're going to fall yeah. apart. Their reports are going to come in late. Projects are not going to get done on time. And, and this is an exaggeration, but just you need to have that work plan in place, even for someone like that, because they're not going to be able to perform at the level that they used to be able to perform at in most cases. Sometimes mm -hmm. people are really good at compartmentalizing. Blah, blah, blah. I, you know what that word is? I can't say. Yeah, that, that <laughs> word. Mentalizing. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. So sometimes they're really good and you won't see it. But I think the bigger picture is that you don't know. And right. you as a manager don't know until you start asking questions and listening and understanding. Um, and so I think that's the thing we cannot do. You know, the worst thing I see is managers just assume. They assume yeah. based on their personal experience, they assume based on what they've seen on TV, they assume, you know, they, they assume that because HR hasn't told them anything that they don't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. And that's not mm -hmm. true. HR is often just as blindsided and ill-equipped on this. They're really good. Look, my peers and I, we are good. We should be good. Most of us are really good at, F, you know, at FMLA, at CIFRA in your California, if you're in California, at state disability, if you have it in your state, at ADA, we're good at providing that information. We have EAP, you know, employment, employee assistance programs mm -hmm. we can recommend you to. We're good at that stuff. We're not good and we're not often trained at how do we coach, how do we help a manager deal with an, a sick employee? It's just not something that we often think about. And it's, and when, especially with this push on mental health and wellness, mm -hmm. it's something that we really need to start thinking about more often. And it's not rocket science. There really are steps that you can go through one after another, after another, that will help kind of put together a, a foundation or a frame. Like I talked about a skeletal frame that you as your, you as an HR or the manager and the team can really work and build on. And once you have this framework, you can do it for anybody else in the organization. That's the beauty of it. It's, you don't have to mm -hmm. redo it every single time. You've got the questions you need to ask. You know what you need, you know, from those, you, you figure out what you need to do. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's my, that, that's my little thing. Yeah, this is important for for anyone who is in a management position to understand that you you might be tempted to say, okay, I mean, you know, I really don't have to deal with any of this. It's none of my business. It's, it's going to be, they'll work it out. They're they'll figure it out. You know, right. they're going to have to just do that. And um, 
I think it's important to remember that we're dealing with human beings here. One of the things that it it really bothered me. I was on LinkedIn one day and somebody had shared a video of it was this father who was out in the parking lot and this was right in the midst of, you know, COVID. Right. This dad was in the parking lot looking up at the hospital building where his son was receiving cancer treatments. He was getting right. Chemo. And so the father was in the parking lot, like doing little dance moves. Right. And yep. then the son was in the window dancing back. Right. To him. Yeah. I've seen that and video. Just, yes. Yeah. I thought, what a heartwarming video. I was like, oh, look at this dad. He is doing everything he can, yep. you know, to be there for his son. And I thought it was the, the most wonderful thing. But there was this person <laughs> who made a comment that, you know, I immediately saw it and it just, it pissed me off. I couldn't let it go. I actually had to say something about it. Why is this on LinkedIn? What does this have to do with business? And I was like, are you serious right now? Did you really ask that question? Yeah. Think about this guy. He could, he could be on his way to work right now. And think about what his mindset has to be to leave that, leave that parking lot and actually go to work. Exactly. These are human beings we're dealing with, not robots. Um, I just, I couldn't believe it, but I guess that there are people out there who who think that way. But I think I think it's just the disconnect. I think we forget. Yeah, it's like the bubble, yeah. right? There's a work bubble. Right. We go to yeah. work and we're at work and we do work and then we leave. And we yeah. forget that, right, that father may be mm-hmm. going to work so he can keep his insurance so that his son can get the treatment that he needs. Right. Yeah. You know, we don't yeah. know. And I think that that's the thing. We forget there's there's a major disconnect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a big movement about bringing your whole self to work, which I'm not mm-hmm. particularly a fan of because I don't think that mm-hmm. organizations are equipped to do <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Do you really want all that? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm in HR and I'm like, can you bring maybe half yourself to work? And right. Then, you know, three quarters of yourself to work, but I don't think I want the whole thing. That's um, right. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to bring my whole self to work. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's but, right. But, in that statement is really what we're talking about is kind of paying attention to what is going on in everyone Mm -hmm. else's lives. And, and that is something that we do need to start doing in businesses because Mm -hmm. look, if you're going through some type of tragedy um, and, and I don't know about it, then I think you're just a jerk for not doing your work. I do. I'm pissed. I'm mad that you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing. I don't understand what your problem is. Are you on drugs? You know, maybe you're on drugs. Are you partying too much at night? Like I'm spinning out. Or you obviously don't care. You obviously don't care about your job. We are in, in, absence of information, we will make up stories. And nine, 99.9% of the story, time, the stories we make up are negative about the, about what's going on. It's not, you know, it's not like, wow, I'm, I'm you know, his marriage is falling apart. That must be what's going on. Or maybe he has a mm-hmm. sick child. It's he's not doing his job. He's being so lazy and he's putting more work on me. And it's just so unfair. And I'm really mad about this. And I'm going to go talk to my manager about it. Right. We assume the worst. And there's, I think that's sort of where our brains work. But if we can start to talk about, I mean, the beauty of talking about cancer in the workforce is it allows people to talk about other things, right? So maybe someone Mm -hmm. has lupus and it's just, I mean, it's, it's a horrible disease. It's really hard. Maybe someone's grandmother died. And although people have poo-pooed it, they're They were really close with their grandmother. It's a significant loss for them. You know, a divorce affects the way you work. So, 
So really just being more sensitive and understanding. And I really want to be very clear about this. You can be compassionate and still be goal focused and oriented and still get things done. I think yeah. there's a myth that if if I have to acknowledge what you're going through and be compassionate, then I can't ask you to get the work done. But that's not right. true. I can acknowledge what you're going through and we can sit down and say, "Okay, here's the work that needs to be done." Let's figure out a way to take some of this off your plate, to give it to someone else, to deal with it, to get this done. You know, there's, it allows for that conversation for that employee to feel included and counted. And I want to also say this, what we forget is a lot of us get our identity from work. And I know we shouldn't and we should feel like we're good people. But look, when I do my job well, I feel really good. And when I do my job crappy or someone tells me I'm doing my job crappy or I think I've done my job crappy, I don't feel good. So, you know, an employee, well, I'm just getting really loud and passionate about this. Yeah, no, no, I love it. (laughs) I love it. Um, So so when, when an employee is in crisis, and they come to you and you sit down and say, hey, I'm really sorry this is going on. Let's figure out a way to support you. And we still have work to get done. Let's figure out a way to figure out what you can do. Like that is such yeah. an incredible statement of you matter. The work that you does matter. You're still a team member here. We still think you have good input to give. Can you help us figure out how to do it? Yeah. And the message yeah. it sends to the team is, even if you're messed up in your head, we're still yeah. going to figure, you got something going on in your life. We're still going to figure out how to work with you. Yeah. And talk about a raise in employee engagement. You now have an employee that's engaged and wants to do work well with your organization and wants to, wants to be that important person, want, feels like they have something to offer. So yeah. you've just heightened your engagement and you've also just improved your productivity at a time when most productivity goes down. You know, as, as, as someone who goes into organizations and, and talks to them about um, communication skills and, and feedback, and one of the things that I talk about is setting up a, a healthy, positive communication climate. Because in order for some of these conversations to happen, this work starts now. It doesn't start when you get an employee that suddenly has, you know, fallen ill with something. I mean, yes. you need to start the work today to set up the the uh, precedents that, yes, I mean, we are a team. We understand that we can be compassionate. We're, we're firm, but fair, you know, yes. we, we have open communication. We know what the expectations are. Yep. Um, that has to start now because- yes. If, if you don't have that type of, of a communication climate where your employees feel like they can approach you to have that conversation now, it's going to be, it's going to be even worse when they do have something more serious exactly. you know, happening to them. A lot of employees will not tell their managers because they're afraid of what their managers will say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if, if that's, if that's a situation and I know managers, oh, we have an open door, but the reality is if you don't step outside that door and really mm-hmm. talk and get to know your employees, that open door means nothing. They're not going to yeah. come in because even though you see yourself as just a human being, who's like, mm-hmm. you know, 
poop stinks. <laughs> no other way to say yeah. it. <laughs> um, um, you are still a manager. Your employees do not see you that way. You are a manager. You are their boss. And there's, it's the dynamic that's there. And yeah. so in order for them to feel like it's good to come to you, you have to model that it's good for you to come to them. And you have to, look, I'm not asking people to, you know, talk about the death of, you know, their grandmother, you know, the mm -hmm. next day after it happened, but you can come in and say, you know what? Oh my God, I just I had the worst morning. And I feel yeah. like I, I almost want to start it over again because it was just so crappy. Like that yeah. humanness is really important because otherwise your employees aren't going to come to you. But that, that, that's the HR side of me, you know, talking yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had I was having lunch with a colleague a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the challenges of being managers, you know, in the workplace when yep. when challenges like this come up. And um you know, she she told me about this one particular organization that she was working with and um right after uh the George Floyd, you know, incident happened and um one of the employees became very upset because she got to work. She was very upset about what had happened. Right. And nobody was saying anything yeah. about anything. And she felt like, I just, you know, I, I felt like I was being ignored or, you know, something. And she was the, the only black female in the department. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think it, everybody else was white, you know, in the department. Yeah. Yep. And um, so she felt like, she was alone. And, and then she felt like, no, I really can't bring up anything because right. what right. is this, the reaction? This, this is not a safe place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just an example of that, you know, setting up that precedence of getting out there, letting them see that you are someone who is willing to, you know, open up a dialogue, be approachable, yep. you know, and, and set that up for your employees. Otherwise it's, it's not going to happen. And the way I look at it, we can go back to what to say. So look mm -hmm. at it this way. When you come in, when something bad happens to you or something good happens to you, you want to share it. You want to tell mm -hmm. somebody because mm -hmm. you want it witnessed, right? And that's the bottom line. You want it witnessed. You want someone to go, oh, no, or, oh my gosh, that's so great. You want to be witnessed. So that's exactly what happened with George Floyd. That's exactly what happens when your employee tells you that they have cancer. First mm -hmm. of all, they have worked up the courage to come into the office. They are nervous. They don't mm -hmm. want to speak it. If it's new to them, which it usually is, right? It's still fresh. Every single time they say it, it brings it to the surface. Right. Yeah. They're afraid of crying in your office. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of being seen as weak. They're terrified because they don't know if they're going to live, right? Just, you know, you, mm -hmm. you've just been given mm -hmm. a, you know, and so your job as a manager, whether you're in HR or whether you're the manager of this employee is to literally sit there and go, I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like this breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. This is so hard to hear, right? Mm -hmm. Your first and foremost job is to witness their pain. That's yeah. the thing you need to do. Then you can start to go into action. Um, a mistake I often see managers say is they'll, you know, someone will say something that will give them the message and then they'll go, we, you know, we will support you in any way possible. And that is the, it's almost the other side of if you need anything, let me know. It's too right. big. And you as an organization, as a manager, cannot support them any way possible. 
because how that employee interprets anything is now no longer left up to you. (laughs) You Yeah. Yeah. So they can interpret it meaning, oh, you'll get the extra vacation days or you'll be okay if I don't show up for work, if I show up for work for late. I mean, they can they can hold on to that message and interpret it any way they want down the line. So yeah. I often coach managers don't say that, but to say, we will figure out a way that we can support you. That's very yes. simple and it's true. And if that support means that you get them an Uber, you know, a a share ride gift card so that they can get themselves Mm -hmm. back and forth to work or back and forth to their treatments without driving, or if that support means that you're going to, you know, give them some time off or whatever it is, or you're going to have people donate vacation hours so the person cannot lose, you know, income, whatever it is you're going to do, you have an option, but don't leave the door open with anything. Be really specific because the reality is, you're still running a business. You still have KPIs that need to be met. You have goals. You're still on the hook for getting the things done that your department is in charge of. And so you have to balance, you're going to have to learn to balance the incredible amount of empathy and sympathy. I think sympathy is important here. Empathy, sympathy with getting work done. And I'm Mm -hmm. here to tell you that it can be done. It absolutely can be done, but there is a balance and there are moments, moments, the work is going to feel like it's more important and moments, the, you know, the compassion is going to feel like it's more important. One of the things I'm going to tell you this really short story uh, a manager called me and he said he felt absolutely horrible because an employee had come in and told him that her husband had cancer. And his first thought was, oh, crap. Then now she's going to be spending more time there and I really need her to finish this project and this project isn't going to get done. That's, that's the first thought, right? And he yeah. felt horrible about having He didn't say that out loud. Thank God. I know managers who have yeah, said things out loud. <laughs> the blurting but, that out. Exactly. He didn't say it out loud, but he felt so guilty. And the problem with his guilt is that because he thought that and he thought it was wrong to think that he then was starting to lean on the, to the other side of being way over compassionate and then risk not taking care of his team and taking care of the work that he had to get done. And so I talk a lot to managers about, look, you're going to have some thoughts that are not going to be quote unquote kind thoughts that you think that a human should have. They're just thoughts. There's no power to them. They're just thoughts. And if you don't like them, take the little imaginary stick, hit yourself in the back, and then toss the stick away. Because you're human. You are human. And oftentimes when we get confronted with really hard news, we don't, our minds wanting to control, want not being able to take in everything, find one small thing that they can manage. It's one small thing that they can think about because it's just too much overload for the rest of the brain. And so it's a really common thought. So if you're a manager and you had that thought, it's okay. I promise you it's okay. You're not a bad human being. (laughs) Right. Congratulations. You are human. Exactly. 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 Surprise. Surprise. But but I do appreciate what you just said about the balancing the the empathy with also the, the action of what you know, you do still have responsibilities to the team, to the workplace. Of course, there are things that you're, you're going to have to maybe shuffle around. But that goes back to another thing that you said that I really appreciate having that moment with that employee who's received some really bad news that we're going to, we'll figure 
this out. We'll figure something out. It kind of takes the pressure off of both of you at that time. You know, if you're the manager, you don't have to have all the answers right then and there. And then the person who's dealing with the news, they don't have to have all the answers right then and there either, because you're Right. right. We don't. And, and I will tell you, I can't remember how far into it, maybe just the first month or two, you know, into it. And I had a meeting with my nurse navigator mm-hmm. and my husband was sitting there with me and she just kind of looked at me and she was like, have you had a chance to really process what this means? Right. So this was like before, you know, I, I was having more surgeries and everything coming up and then the radiation was, you know, coming down the road. And when she asked me that question, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I had not, you know, like w- the day I found out I had cancer, I cried, yeah. but then I didn't cry after that. Right. I went into survival mode yes. and I was just, let's do this. But when she caused me to stop and say, have you had a chance to really process what this means? I fell <laughs> apart in that yes. chair. I fell apart in that chair. So, yes. you know, y- you, you really can't anticipate when those emotional moments you know will happen and and I think that's also important for for managers and for team members to to understand as well that person um one day will be perfectly fine and work is an escape right they don't have to think about anything else right. you know and and that's the perfect thing that they need and then other days they're going to show up and they are just a blubbering mess <laughs> yes it that's and, and that's very very true <laughs> Um, and you know, the other part of it is, I mean, we might as well talk about it, there's death, you know, not oh, all cancers yeah. in my case, the cancer did not turn out like there was right. a great remission and a happy ending. Yes. So mm-hmm. death does happen. And when that happens in the workforce, there's a whole nother layer that needs to be dealt with because it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, I know companies mean well, when they do this, they bring in a crisis counselor and they put, they sit them in the room for a couple of days and then they kind of disappear. And that's just the beginning of grief. Grief doesn't go away in a couple right. days. You know, you no. still have to walk past that person's office or cubicle. That office or cubicle needs to be cleaned out. Someone or someone needs to go to the house and pick up the equipment. You know, like there's there's a lot of stuff that happens. And there's, you know, what do you do in Zoom meetings, you know, res- work responsibilities. And so giving employees and, you know, again, this is put on the manager and I hope that HR would help support them. But, you know, yeah. there's so many things that companies can do to grieve the loss of an employee and let the yeah. Employees grieve the loss of that person Um, because we, again, we sweep it under the rug. Like it's like, oh, well, it's so sad. It's, you know, I often hear people say, I don't know why I'm crying because they're dead. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because you're not going to see them again because it's loss, Mm -hmm. you know, because, because, because even if you didn't like them, they were there and now they're not. Yeah. You know, and so and the entire and your entire office, your entire department now uh, is different. Yes. Because of that. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, again, this, you know, what, what, what I hope to help managers and HR teams do is to find the space between, you know, managing the emotions that come up with cancer or loss or, you know, any type of health crisis with being part of a community and being productive. Yeah. And I think there is an absolute, you know, combining of those three things that can be done. And when you do that, whew, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a place I want to work at. Right. You know, it's a yeah. place I want to stay and work at. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Kim, I am I'm so happy that you're you're out there doing this work oh, because I, I know that so many people really need to to hear this. And like I said, you're the only person that I have heard of that I know of that you know, has this specific goal, you know, we we always think about friends and family, but again, we rarely stop to think about how this is impacting the workplace and and the coworkers and the managers. As we wrap this up, is there anything that I didn't ask, or is there anything that you think is a, a really important, just something to mention that maybe anyone who who's watching right now or, or listening later on might need to hear? So I am not here. You know, my husband died 13 years ago and our kids were 12, Mm. nine and seven at the time. And it was Mm. horrific. It was a horrific experience that kind of kept on going, right? Because it's not just Mm -hmm. the first year, it's the second year, the third, the fifth. And people often say, oh my gosh, Kim, you know, you're so strong, you're so courageous. And that's not it. That is nothing. That is not it. I'm standing here because of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of small little things that people did for myself, my husband and our kids. Yeah. And this included coworkers and his boss. Mm-hmm. And um and I want people to know that they matter because mm-hmm. I'm standing here because those people took action because they said I can't do anything big or grand for her, but I've this one little thing hopefully will help her feel better. Yes. Hopefully will help him feel good. Hopefully will make him laugh. And they did this one little thing and mm-hmm. that, and those one little things all combined together yeah. are, have allowed me to survive. And mm-hmm. so my message to everyone is you really matter. And sometimes we forget, you know, in this big world, we, you can't take the cancer away. You can't give them a kind of treatment that's going to make it better for them. You just can't, you know, mm-hmm. but what you can do is you can show up as yourself in their life and just do one small thing because yeah. that one small thing, when you do it, you are saying to them, your journey sucks and yeah. I'm really sorry. And here's something that I hope will make you feel better because I care about you. What a gift that is. Yes. What a gift. So don't play small. Even if you don't know what to do, you can tell a person, I don't know what to do for you. I want to do something mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do for you. And I don't want you to tell me what to do for you, but mm-hmm. I just want you to know that I want to do something for you because I care about you and I'm sorry this is happening to you. That is a beautiful thing to say because we all just mm-hmm. want to be witnessed. We just want to be seen. And when you can do an act of love, you let that other person be seen. So that's my message is you matter. Mm-hmm. You really matter. That is beautiful. Thank you so much, Kim, oh, for that. Thank you. How do we contact you? What give give us all of your info? Because I know there's somebody somewhere is going to want <laughs> to get in touch with you. Sure. I so I so I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I do LinkedIn lies every Thursday. Um, so I'll be doing those and you can reach out to me. And if you have a question you want answered on a LinkedIn live, please let me know. They're really short. They tend to be about 15 to 17 minutes long. So I'm happy to answer a question, but here's how to reach me. I'm at 100 actsoflovecom and that is the number 100. And if you want to know five phrases never to say to anybody with cancer, why not to say them and what to say instead, you can go to 100 actsoflovecom backslash what not to say. Very simple, no spaces, 
what not to say. And then lastly, I did write a book. Hold on, let me find, get it. So awkward. <laughs> reaching for the book. Reaching for the book. And then and then and then I'm shaking my desk. But this is this is what yeah. makes lives so much fun is that they're real. That's um, right. You never know what's gonna happen. That's exactly. So y'all, I forgot, you know, I meant to grab this book and put it here, but I forgot. Think I keep one within reach because it's, it's all before. good. Exactly. <laughs> so this is 100 Acts of Love, a girlfriend's guide mm -hmm. to loving your friend through cancer or loss. It is oh. meant to be a really simple, easy read so that you can pick it up and find a quick tip, something you can do for mm -hmm. somebody. You can find it on Amazon and you can also find it on my website. Um, so yeah, please, you know, there's no stupid question. We aren't taught to manage our emotions or the emotions of others when it comes to this topic. And I often say, if one in three of us are going to get cancer, the other two better know what to do and how to support. That is an excellent way to end this because that right there, that's all we need to know. <laughs> One in three, the other two better know. And the great thing is that there are resources and you're a huge resource out there for, for anyone who, who needs that. Make sure that all of that information is in the show notes. So anyone who, who needs to get in contact with you, they'll be able to do that. Again, from the bottom of my heart, Kim, thank you so much for oh. agreeing to share your wisdom in this and in your experience. And you're doing a lot of good for a lot of people. And I just hope you know how much you are appre appreciated. Oh, Jen, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. And thank you for what you do. I mean, you know, we had the side talk, we hit it off right away. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, thank you for taking the time to come into organizations and really help them communicate better. Because honestly, that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line. That's right. You know, That's it right. really is. If you can do it well, everything will move well. If you do it poorly, it's not going to go so well. That's um, so, right. And, yeah. and there's no shame in, in seeking out help. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So thank you very much. Really appreciate you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Also, you can now buy some communication 24-7 swag. Yes. Please go to our website and spell the numbers out. www.communication247.com. Buy some merch, submit a pic to me, and I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Remember to follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also subscribe to the Communication 24-7 podcast YouTube channel to find out when our next edition of Unscripted is being live streamed. Watch during the live stream and participate by making comments and asking questions. Till then, take care. The Amazon mobile app makes shopping fast and easy. It provides you with real-time tracking and delivery notifications, 360 product views, and live chat support 24-7. And when you make an in-app purchase for the first time, you will receive a $5 coupon to use on your next order. If you have not tried out the Amazon mobile app, check it out today by clicking on the link in the show notes.